bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Today's guest is a comedy veteran. He's uh, has been heard on the Tom Bernard podcast, the Dan Patrick Show, the Tom and Bob radio show in Indiana, which is simulcast nationally, uh, Sirius XM Radio in their comedy area, and also can be seen in his comedy special on Dry Bar Comedy. And you'll find out who that is next after this here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Well, folks, the season is finally here. What season? Baseball and softball season, of course. Are you ready? What about you players out there? Are you ready? Is your equipment ready? What about that glove you've been using? What about that uniform you've been wearing year after year? Well, I tell you what. If it needs to be repaired, bring it to JB's Glove Repair. He'll have you together in no time. That's J-A-Y-B-E-E-S Glove Repair. With over 30 plus years of experience, he'll have you ready by game time. That's J-A-Y-B-E-E-S Glove Repair. Ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier, today's guest is a comedic veteran. He has appeared on such show as the Dan Patrick Show, the Tom Bernard uh, Podcast, the Tom and Bob Radio Show in uh, Indiana, I believe, uh, the series, but they are simulcast nationally. And also, you can hear... Uh, Bits of his on the Sirius XM radio. There's a comedy area if you if you are a uh, pers- uh, subscriber to that. And also, he has a special on Dry Bar Comedy, which you can uh, find on YouTube. 
And the person I'm talking about, of course, is Mike Brody. How you doing, Mike? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I mean, uh, we're trying to connect with somebody else, and then in the message said, Mike would like to be on your podcast. And I was like, sure. <laughs> I, I will never turn a guest uh, uh possible guest down so right well yeah i appreciate it i'm glad to be here <laughs> okay so when i start my guests off um because my the the biggest part of my audience is comprised in like two areas in the uh, twin city metro area and then in the st louis metro area because that's where i grew up oh, so gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so it's kind of weird that i have to, and then there's people all over the country that tune in and whatnot. But I was going to say, you don't have any islands in between there? <laughs> no, I don't. And I was going to get to that also, that you you, you are a Hawkeye? Yes. Oh, yep. God, we'll forgive you for that. <laughs> <laughs> are you a gopher? Yes, I am. Okay, but you grew up in St. Louis? <laughs> yes. Okay, so it's okay. That makes sense. I Yeah, I am a Hawkeye. You have to, like... And so our biggest rivals in Iowa are Iowa State versus Iowa. Those mm -hmm. are the biggest. So it's in state. So when people get all big about the Gophers, I'm like, who? <laughs> who? Oh, it's easy. Iowa, Iowa State. Easy. In the conference, it's Minnesota. So. Yeah, right. No, fair enough to, to that. But <laughs> it's uh, the uh, – I went to Iowa. My dad went to Iowa State, and then okay. my sisters, my sisters, like you and I, and we're like, okay, the adults are talking here. <laughs> yeah, it's the University of Northern Iowa. For those who don't know, um, right. so that's pretty. That's pretty quick of you to say the adults are talking. Yes, the, in football, the University of Iowa and, and Iowa State University fight for the Cyhawk trophy every year yeah. see i know these things mike right right you know 40 years of college athletics i learned a few things <laughs> so i normally ask uh my guests to kind of give a little bit about their origin story which you have given some already you you uh you grew up in iowa but um you know kind of give us a little background on that and uh how did you know that you were funny or what made you think you were funny or however you want to explain it yeah. uh you know yeah i grew up in mason city iowa northern northern iowa which is only like 30 minutes from minnesota so it's not that different but you know tell that to a minnesota yeah but uh <laughs> uh i didn't i grew up watching stand-up comedy but i never thought that i would ever do it because i i'm an iowan and i didn't know that we were allowed to do things you know what i mean like i <laughs> I was, we never well you could be an astronaut can we i don't know i don't think we can but uh i just watched it all the time i watched mtv's half hour comedy hour comedy uh evening uh, the improv comics on the road all that stuff that they used to have on you know basic cable and then uh basically in college i was going to school for writing you know so i started writing stuff started writing like what i thought was funny stuff for the local paper and then i was a bartender one day one of the regulars came in and he just goes uh Oh, I did an open mic at the pizza place down the street, and I killed. And I was like, I'm funnier than that dude. And uh, I just did it out of, I guess you could say spite. And then I did it, and then I just never stopped. And that was twenty, almost twenty one years ago. So, is there uh, somebody funny in your family? Uh, no, they think they are. <laughs> <laughs> I I grew up with my friends were funny. I had like a group of uh, you know 
like five or six dudes that were all really, really, really funny people. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I may have been the least funny out of all of them, mm-hmm. but it, there's different things that make a comic and right. it's ob- observations and creativity and writing and actually having a little bit of business acumen, believe it or not, you know, and there's right. all these different things, stage fright. Um, <laughs> there's all these things that happen, being able to think on your toes. And so like, they may have been like in high school, like the funniest, but it didn't work out that way. I, mean, I don't know that they even wanted to be comics, but um, it didn't really work out that way for them. They're like, you know, they have their various jobs now. But uh, no, I never really thought of myself as like the funniest person or like coming from funny. It's just one day I just decided to do it. I mean, people thought I was funny. It wasn't that I wasn't unfunny, but it's just it's kind of a strange thing. I think that comics are not they're less the class clown than they are the silent observer who just mm-hmm. pays attention and notices yep. everything. The silent assassin in the back of the room. There. Yeah. Right. Picks like his... when I go, when I go up on stage mm-hmm. and somebody heckles me, I've already thought of five retorts I could do for all of them, you know? And that's right. just, if I've noticed them, it's like, I I'm prepared. I, it's not like I case the room in that sense, but I, I do, I just notice. So like if somebody's before the show, is like acting up. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get that guy. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. Yeah. Do you, Do you want those people in your audience, or would you rather not have those people in your? Audience? I mean, no, I'd rather not. In the perfect scenario, we go up and we do that jokes that we wrote that we are trying to perform, you know, right. like in our act. But the reality is, you know, comedy is just it, distractions happen and things happen. So it doesn't matter if you want them or don't want them. Uh, it's gonna happen. So you just have to be prepared. So when it does happen, then my goal is to make it as funny as possible and own it. Right. You know? And so that's, so, so yeah, I mean, it's like, do I, would I prefer to just go up and just do my act? Yes. But it's, that's just not a reality. So, um, but, but a lot of times people think that comics stage this stuff. And like, I've like once every blue moon, I've heard of somebody doing that. It's really not, you don't need to, right. I think people misunderstand how common, hecklers are <laughs> we don't need to stage a heckler it no. happens you know um and, and the, the truth is i mean we've there's so many different comics but so many different hecklers and we've seen those those hecklers like they're not as unique as they think you know they're usually some drunk guy who's like ah! mm-hmm. you know so sometimes it's kind of easy to whack a mole and back down um <laughs> some people you know it's different you know um it, i don't know I, I i i do enjoy it so while i don't encourage it I do love a good <laughs> debate, if you want to call it that, you know, like I love, I love free styling it, you know, mm-hmm. like just kind of like uh, crowd working, they call it, or just riffing. Uh, sometimes I talk to the crowd. That's a different thing where I like to talk to them and kind of get to know them and kind of make it interactive. But that's kind of on my terms. Uh, what, what I would consider a heckler is somebody who's interrupting like you're trying to get to your punchline and they're like, and they're yelling out stuff. Right. You know, that's totally different than somebody that I've opened the dialogue with. Right. How, um, so how, how have you, or how would you handle, uh, bridal showers? <laughs> how would I handle bridal showers? <laughs> Cause oh, you, you know, they get, they show up at a show and they just, you know, they want the attention. Yeah. <laughs> they are yes and 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 it, it's not a how would i because i've done so many of them <laughs> um typically i mean what what's supposed to happen in a perfect world the mc goes up sees that there's people with you know tiaras and all kinds of you know yeah. things on their heads <laughs> and, then, and goes okay is anybody celebrating anything and then they go Woo, and then they say it's their bachelorette party and, and then you get that out of the way right, right. up front and, and and a lot of times that works 
uh, but a lot of times it doesn't because they want it. They need to be the center of attention for all things, and so um, usually that works. But every once in a while, they will uh, they'll keep it going through the whole show, and then you kind of have to like be careful because there's usually twenty of them. <laughs> you know, it can really it can turn bad, right? Uh, so it's I mean if they're if they're going to be yelling, they're usually pretty drunk, and drunk people can be really be fishing them. And, fish in a barrel you know <laughs> it's not hard if you're like sober or soberish it's not hard to take down a drunk person usually uh as far as the battle of the wits i mean they think they're great but um it happens so much that like oh man and you know what in that whole time i probably had like two bachelor parties right because they always go to the strip club i guess yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah even though that didn't happen for me when I did get married. I'm now divorced, but when I did get married, yeah. nope. Me over to my brother's house to watch a basketball game was the yeah, extent cool. for me. <laughs> but um, so you, when you were growing up as a kid, did you what? Uh, what did you do? Did you play sports? Were you a Boy Scout? Did you you know just uh, try to be funny or? How did things go I in your... I wanted to be a Boy Scout, and then uh, my... <laughs> I love my dad, but he was too cheap to sign me up. Uh, I don't even know if Boy Scouts cost money. I have no idea, but I told my dad I wanted to be a Boy Scout, and he goes, what do you want to be a Boy Scout for? And I go, well, I don't know. I want to learn how to tie ropes and stuff. And then he goes, I can teach you how to do that, and I never did. So I never, <laughs> never became a Boy Scout. Um, yeah, uh, but... I didn't do that. I did play basketball because I'm six foot five. So oh, okay. I think yeah, yeah, I'm tall. So it, I'm pretty uncoordinated, and I didn't play any other sport. I figured when you're tall, nobody's ever gonna see you on the court and go, "Why is he out there?" You know, like there's <laughs> that that would happen in other sports, like hockey. When I mm -hmm. had to try to figure out how to push, uh, I had to push a chair around. Yeah, to to ice skate. <laughs> so that was embarrassing. Um, but basketball, I I I was. Well, let me put it this way. I was, like, good. Like, I probably could have started for, like, a really small school, but uh, I didn't. We, <laughs> I was, like, the 12th man. We yeah. had a really good team. You know, you don't think of, like, Iowa, but we were ranked 14th in the country as, as a high school team uh, by USA Today. So we were, like, really, really good. We had, like, a point guard that went to the NBA. We had two guys that were almost seven feet tall. So, like, I wasn't getting any playing time, but it was just, I mean, it was a really good team. So it was fun to be on the team. So you um, you were an average size uh, player on a team that had two yeah. seven footers. Yeah, I think I was like the fifth or sixth or seventh tallest person on the team, and I'm six five. And I was, I think I was probably six four in high school. I grew an inch in college. Right. But uh, but it was fun. It was it was fun to be. You know, we we won the state championship. We got to go in that whole thing. You know, and I just I was kind of the cheerleader. <laughs> um, you were the and yeah, I didn't, yeah, and I didn't think about it at the time because you know I didn't think of myself as the class clown. But they used to like get in a big circle and I'd do this weird dance, you know. So like, right. apparently, maybe I was on my way to being a comedian. I don't know. <laughs> well, in the, in the realm of sports, especially college basketball, you would have been called the human cigar. <laughs> the human cigar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's a, you know, Red Arback would light up a cigar. This was back in the days when you could smoke in basketball arenas. He would light up a cigar on the bench, uh, as a signal to the crowd that they had this this game in the bag. So now, when they put a certain player on the court, it's a signal to the home crowd. That they have the game in the back. They call him a human cigar. So. Well, I will tell you this. First off, uh, we we were really good, so we'd win by thirty points. Oh, you know, right. We we'd beat like 
top 10 teams by 30 points. The teams that played as close were the teams that sucked. That was the irony. I think, you know, they, they were like, if we could just, they were like one in 14, but if they could just beat us, they would be like the whole year, you know, so right. they played like super hard. Um, so I would get in one time I got in when we were up by 30 and we ended up winning, winning by 15 instead. And the coach was so mad. He was so mad. Cause you know, probably a little stat stuff in there. It looks good. You know, to win by 30 all the time. Right. Well, but I was in, yeah, I, it was, it was uh, Marshalltown, Iowa. We were mm-hmm. playing. They put in their scrubs. We put in ours. And I, I'll never forget. It was also the only time I ever scored a point in, in high school. So I was excited <laughs> <laughs> in varsity. Um, but this guy got in and he was the guy that I was guarding. And he was, you know, maybe a little bit shorter than me, but he was very big. Like I would have guessed he at least 250, 300 pounds, like, like just chunky guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he we're shooting somebody's shooting a free throw he lines up next to me and he goes don't worry about me i suck and uh he is he goes my name's moose and he was literally chewing tobacco oh jeez <laughs> like during the game and so i let my guard down and then he scored three point uh three three pointers in a row on me and i think he did suck actually but i <laughs> That just kind of shows where I was. Right. (laughs) So he just he lit me up on threes, and then the coach was so mad because we didn't win by as many as we should have. Well, I feel your pain, Mike. My parents did put me in Boy Scouts, and I did learn how to tie knots. So, I I got that on on you. But I I wasn't um, I wasn't on the high school basketball team. I was the high school basketball manager. Ah. So. Gotcha. But in practice, I could out-rebound anybody on the team. And um, when there were rebounding drills, I, I would he would make me shoot because he'd figure I'd miss. Yeah. And, there, you know, once I, one out of every three practices, I would get hot and couldn't miss, and he'd just be screaming at me. <laughs> Black Why shirt! Why the team then? <laughs> <laughs> because he just – he told – I asked him that one day. He said, you were better asset as a manager than you would be as a player. I was like, oh, oh wow. gee, thanks. But I was wow. I was co-team MVP my senior year, so I guess he was right. So Oh I, wow. <laughs> so you started off as a manager and then you became co MVP. Right. Still oh, as nice. a as a manager. Oh as a manager. Okay. <laughs> as okay. a manager. Yeah. That's how I, bad uh, we wow. sucked my senior year. We they actually <laughs> uh yeah it it Mike, I had to share a jersey with uh, another guy because we didn't we didn't cut players. Right. So anybody was on the team because we were a four A school in Iowa, but it was you know town of twenty eight to thirty thousand people. But so it was a decent. We only had one high school. Well, there was the Catholic school too, but we only had one high school. So it was a decent sized class. But basically, there was like you know fourteen people on the team, and they had twelve jerseys or whatever. So <laughs> I had to share a jersey, and I had a jersey my junior year but then i got my appendix out first uh day, week before first day of practice my senior year and then when i came back they were like real hesitant they, I, I, they'd already picked the jerseys so they were i went from being like his favorite person in the world that he hated me because now he had to figure out where to fit me <laughs> you know and so when i scored that two points in marshalltown i checked the box score it was the 90s so you mm-hmm. open up a newspaper you know see the box score and i remember getting up in the morning to be really excited to see two points mike brody and go go to school be all excited like hey ladies right and it didn't say two points mike brody it said two points darren mares the guy <laughs> i shared the jersey with <laughs> they're like no and then, and then i got him back i got darren mares back because the next game he got to play we had to rotate mm-hmm. and we were on local tv because like i said we were 14th in the country 
And um, he got in. We were up by 30, so he got in, and then he scores eight points in a row somehow, and then the newscaster goes nuts, and he goes, Mike Brody's on fire. <laughs> there so you go. take that, Darren Mares, right? Eight to yeah. two. Yeah, it, it it all evens out in the end. But it just seems like, again, stuff ready-made for you for comedy. <laughs> it's just a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of comics talk about the uh, uh, pain or weird things that they've gone through early in their lives that they can, yeah. that they take to the stage with them. Yeah. Uh, so um, this is a question that I've heard people ask over the years in different forms, different ways, different people. Uh, do you think comics are born funny or they can make themselves funny? Interesting. That's an interesting question. I think so you're asking is it nature versus nurture? Yes. I think that I don't know that it's a born funny or not. I think it's your circumstances. I mean, I think somebody's obviously maybe born with a wit that's like stronger than somebody else's, but overall, if you have an interesting if you have a life that makes you a certain way, that's going to be more interesting than somebody that maybe was just born. I mean, it's not about money or anything, but let's say you're just born and you just, you know, you just are at the country club and you, you, you ship, you do your yacht all over the place. You know, maybe you're not going to have the drive to want to go do something different. You, you've already got it made. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I think that, I mean, I really do think that's an interesting question, but I think that after a certain point, like when people come and they want to do an open mic and they just like, you can tell, okay, everybody sucks when they're new. It doesn't matter how good or bad you do. You suck as a comic when you're new. But when I watch people, I've been doing it long enough, I can tell if they have a chance or not. You know, And I don't mean like, oh, they're going to make it big or not. But like, you see somebody and two people both suck, and I go, that person's going to get better if they work at it. That person doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> it's just because <laughs> some people don't have the personality or the self-awareness mm -hmm. or just the kind of instincts. And you can just tell after a while. Um, it doesn't mean that sometimes I've been wrong. But overall, I think, yeah, I think that there's just certain people that, and I don't know that, I don't know that it's from being born at zero as a baby, but I think maybe their life, the way they were raised, I have no idea how it actually works, but I think, I think it's an interesting question and it's still up for debate. So, um, who were your influences when you were growing up as a youth and as, uh, in comedy? Well, I, like I said, I watched all those shows. A lot of them, I don't remember their names. I remember seeing Adam Sandler do stand-up because, mm -hmm. you know, he's a very memorable. It's hard to forget Adam Sandler, uh, especially when you're a kid. Um, a lot of them, it turns out that I end up working with later in life. Like, I remember seeing Wild Bill Bauer on MTV's Half Hour Comedy Hour and then, like, ending up working with him, which is kind of funny, you know, later on. Um, he's from here. Mm -hmm. um, I would say as I got to be more of the age where I started to do stand-up, I really liked Bill Hicks, and I really liked uh, Mitch Hedberg, but the irony of that is that my stand-up doesn't resemble either of them at all. Right. Yep. Um, you know, Bill Hicks is Bill Hicks, and <laughs> Mitch Hedberg is Mitch Hedberg, but I just really liked what they did. Um, I've always just tried to be myself, and I, I don't really know how to do anything else but be myself, so I'm not like a kind of quasi-stoner, one-liner guy, and I'm not like a, you know, political assassin like yeah. Bill Hicks was. Um but I, I liked those guys. My Maybe my favorite special of all time is Eddie Izzard, Dressed to Kill, from like 1999. And uh, that one is another thing. He's British, uh, or they, they're British, and uh, they do um, 
a bunch of political, not political, historical comedy, mm-hmm. like about history and stuff. I could never in a million years pull that off. It's just not my style, but I love it. I thought it was so, I thought it was so cool. And then Darth Vader stuff, basically they're doing all these jokes that uh, I wish I could do, but uh, I don't know. I don't know that I could get up and talk about like 14th century Scotland and be able to <laughs> people pay attention. I think you have to be British for that to work. So what would you class if you, if you want to or could, what would you classify your style? Now I'm not looking for you to tell jokes on here because you never, no. you never ask a comic to perform their show <laughs> or their bits, because right. that that would be like walking up to LeBron and handing him a basketball and saying, "Hey man, can you right. shoot a three? <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, no. Um, I would say that my style, you know, uh, which is different than when I started, but I I like to tell stories or anecdotes uh personally about me that are self-deprecating but don't leave the audience feeling bad like they're not like negative they're not boo-hoo woe is me and and to be clear anybody's style they want to do is fine i'm just talking about i'm not you know negating anybody else what they do but i personally don't want people to leave my show feeling bad so i don't go there to try to like uh, make you know, make people feel uncomfortable, make them feel bad about themselves. That's totally fine for other people, but I don't, I don't do that. So my stories are like about awkward things that happened to me, whether I was a kid or now. But but with the thing of like, okay, everything's fine now. Like I got through it. That's that's how I like it. <laughs> well, that's I mean, like I said, everybody has their own niche. So right. and um, I'm about to hit you with a label that you probably. Some people, when they hear it, have like a bad reaction to it. Mm-hmm. And you, Mike's basically, from what I what I've seen, is a what they would classify as a clean comic. Now, some people who are quote unquote clean uh, comics hate that term because they they think some people uh, look down on them because of that. How how do you feel about that term? Well, technically, I would argue that I'm not a clean comic. Here's what I do. So, morals wise, I don't really care if people swear or not. I don't. I'm not easily offended. Right. I decided, pretty much as a business decision, that I was going to write clean material because it's easier. And this is again, isn't you know, oh, that it's harder or easier to be clean or dirty, vice versa. But you know. Like say all of a sudden you have to go do this corporate thing. Oh man, I want to, I have this joke, but I can't do it because I say this. It's harder to clean up a joke than it is to add mm-hmm. dirty to it. So I I would describe myself as a clean comic who swears sometimes because I'll sometimes swear on stage, but my jokes aren't dirty. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, it makes plenty of sense. And, and so I, but I think that there's hack clean and there's hack dirty. <laughs> Yes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think I think that people get too wrapped up in what's I've seen filthy comics that are just blowing my mind by how creative it is and funny. And I've seen clean comics that uh, I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so tired and boring what you're doing. and just so ho-hum. I've seen it a million times right. and then vice versa, you know. So really, it's just it's a crutch to use dated, easy stuff. And it could be either way. But, yes, can you get more of a shock by being dirty? Yes. If. If you say the F word, you know, people are going to listen more. Um, but I try to not write that into my jokes because it's the it, comics know how this is. Like if you have the F word and then you have to take it out, 
to replace it is so hard to do and so awkward. Mm-hmm. And, and like, you don't like, Hey, I went, Hey, you, you flipping guy. Like, it just sounds so weird that I just don't, <laughs> I don't want to put myself in a position to have to do that. Um, but yeah, so basically I'll go up and I'll swear sometimes, but people always be like, Oh, you're clean. Cause they don't even notice the swearing. Cause I, my material isn't really that way. Yeah. And, I, uh, I heard, uh, sorry for cutting you off. I heard Jeff Fox, yeah. Foxworthy, Talking about that with um, Nate Bagat, Nate Bagatzi, I believe, and and they were they were discussing that, and they both thought it was like an unfair asterisk that was being thrown on what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, because they 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 said they can, in a way, they can be dirtier than the dirtiest comic, and never swear and never actually like say certain certain other words and and if you, right. but the implications can be dirty and funny and whatnot so right right you know, and you know i i like to think that i'm versatile like i've done uh comedy on cruise ships and stuff they have 90 percent of the shows you have to be disney clean because there's kids there 10 percent of the time they go okay this is a late show be just x-rated dirty and so you're like you've done you've done most of the week where you're like hey guys what's up with the What's up with the Teletubbies? And then you cue and all of a sudden you're Andrew Dice Clay, you know? And it's like, and you just gotta, you just gotta be able to be versatile. And that's what I want to be. I want to be able to be like, oh, I'm not pigeonholed into this. Oh, I can, I can only do this kind of comedy, not that, you know? I like to think that I could turn on a dime. Well, Mike, hope. I'm going to take a commercial break here uh, for my uh, sponsor and then come back and then we can continue our conversation and, and talk about things, you know, like, uh, you know, travel and um, and places you've been and things like that on the on the road. So okay. if you, if you want to give me a, a minute or so here to uh, no get my sponsorship duties done and uh, right. <laughs> and um, and we'll come back here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast with today's guest, Mike Comic Mike Brody. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. I'm here with today's guest, comic Mike Brody. 
And we've been talking about many different things from playing high school basketball to being a Hawkeye to, uh, and again, I will forgive him from that. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just talking about clean versus dirty comedy. Now, to further the, uh, your, uh, your journey into uh, comedy, uh, you started off as an open micer, and uh, where, how and where has that led you to? Um, I started in Iowa in Cedar Rapids uh, at Penguins Comedy Club, and they had an open mic that you could only do once a month. And I started in 2000, so YouTube wasn't even around for like five more years. So people knew about comedy. Comedy had been very popular in the 80s and early 90s, but it was kind of in a lull. Comedy will always be popular, just like music is always popular, but yeah. it wasn't quite what it is. And so there was basically two places you can do comedy in Iowa when I started. It was Penguins, and there was the Funny Bone in Des Moines. Um, as an open micer, unless you just wanted to go run up at a bar, <laughs> grab a microphone, you know, right. so hopeful nobody kicks you off the stage. Um, so I did that once a month and, uh, now it's the weirdest thing. I mean, it's great, but like now I'm from Mason city. I was by far, unless there was somebody in the eighties I never knew about, I was the first stand up comic from Mason city. And now like if there's like five or six of them, they're talking about, Oh, people from the local Mason city scene. And I was like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> Cause like, there was nobody. Um, but yeah, and so I had, you know, my first year I did in Iowa and we had a little local, you know, Iowa scene there and, uh, cause there was a comedy club and then I ended up, you know, moving out because I wanted to go where there's more stage time, you know, and so Minneapolis has always been great for that. I was just going to say, fortunately for you, you not, you were not that far away from uh, the Twin Cities where, no. you know, you have, um, um, Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis and Rick Bronson's House of Comedy in the Mall right. of America. Yep, there's Sisyphus, there's, yeah. uh, yeah, there's all kinds of clubs, and, uh, there's a new one, uh, opening up in Southdale, I just heard, um, oh. yeah, there's, 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 there's Laugh Camp in, uh, St. Paul, there's, you know, there's, it, it waxes and wanes over the years, mm -hmm. I've seen it, you know, explode and go back down and all stuff, but there's always a good handful of comedy clubs in Minneapolis, and it's always been well known across the country as, you know, there's always New York and L.A., yeah, but Minneapolis is always one of those like second tier cities that uh, is always you know people go oh you're from Minneapolis so you get a bit of respect you know Austin Texas is another one Denver um, Seattle Portland uh, different parts of Ohio you know stuff like that Boston so there's, there's it's it's cool yeah I took my car in to be serviced today at, at the uh, Toyota, Toyota Bloomington dealership and. Um, I look over and I know he works there, but I looked over and there was a guy named Jerry that runs the um, Cinema Grill. Oh yeah, <laughs> so which is a comedy spot, and he's had right. he's had national acts there. <laughs> so you know Jerry sells cars there, but he told me that they're going to start back up doing comedy at the Cine Cinema Grill in October. So oh nice, uh, yeah. So it sounds like you know things are picking up. Um, yeah, you, you were talking when I called you and when I reached out to you earlier today, you had a, um, uh, online hosting gig with, mm -hmm. did that come about via, uh, because of COVID and how did you handle, handle the whole COVID situation? Uh, well, when COVID hit, I was doing comedy on a cruise ship, so it was kind of intense. Like when it, like, 
Yeah. yeah, like when when all the lockdowns, like you know, it had been in the news, but when people were like, I think I got, I think I finally got home March fourteenth, so I was like really cutting it close. Um, yeah, and then comedy stopped. I mean, it just stopped for at least a year, maybe a year and a half. And I was doing Zoom online, like corporate gigs mm-hmm. or some open mics like that. Um, so there was that, but there was a whole lot of uncertainty, and it was just pretty much done. Uh, and then it, you know, as people started to get vaccinated, it started to come back. Um, it's still not all the way back, you know, like, and there's a lot of question marks about this fall because of Delta and all that stuff. So it's kind of, we're kind of in limbo. It's, it's going, I mean, I'm, I'm working, but, um, but I needed to get a job because I, I hadn't had a job for decades. You know, like, it, was a, it was a comic. So, uh, I, one of the things I did was I started uh, doing online uh, trivia hosting. And so I did that. I just, some friends that I knew that were comics in Fargo, they had started this company as a in-person trivia thing. And then when COVID hit, they uh, pivoted to doing it online and it exploded and uh, kept me busy throughout the whole pandemic. And so, you know, the, the goal is, you know, eventually I will, you know, kind of one in and one out thing where I'll be back to being full-time comic. But right now where things are kind of, you know, some gigs are getting canceled again. Some are not. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have this thing that I can fall back on that is still a hosting job. It still has that kind of performance feel to it. And it, and it kept me sharp during the pandemic. But yeah, but that's that's not it's not the end goal of what I'm doing. But it's like, you know, in, in uncertain times, it was a nice little rope to grab onto. Well, I, I uh, work in a um, setting where I um, process orders and pack to, for shipping and um you know that gives me an opportunity to listen to uh comics and whatnot and i was listening to uh tom and papa uh tom papa and i mean tom and fortune tom papa and fortune feemster and right in the middle of a uh uh, a recording last week tom goes oh no oh no fortune goes what he goes my Florida gig has been canceled. <laughs> Let's not yeah. do this, people. He starts screaming, get vaccinated, wear a mask. What the crap yeah. are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know, because we'd already been through that. You know, it's like we had already been through seeing all of our 2020 getting canceled. And, and then, you know, and then we're starting to finally put stuff back in the books and you're feeling good. And then, you know, so far, most of them have come through, I think that, but I just feel like there's this, big question mark and who knows but so far i mean i've had a few drop but it's uh, it's been a crazy time <laughs> right well you you said you did a uh, a corporate gig online mm-hmm. Co- several corporate gigs are not easy to begin with right. <laughs> how did that go for you were they uh more responsive because they were tired of being locked down and not <laughs> you know not having anything to do or how did it go well i actually uh well i mean i I do a lot of corporate gigs in in like in person stuff but uh it was an adjustment at first at the beginning of pandemic to do comedy online because i i don't believe i'd ever done it before now i've done it so many times but it was an adjustment but uh because for example when you go up on stage in real life you kind of get a feel for how you're doing because you can see people's faces you can hear their laughter oftentimes on zoom their windows are shut off uh, or they're on, on mute, so it could be very disorienting. So I realized quickly that you just start looking for teeth. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, so people are laughing, you could see their teeth. Right. Uh, and, and you can see their body language. And so it actually, uh, that's actually a way that online trivia actually helped me out a lot too because I was doing a lot of that stuff. And I would still make jokes while doing the trivia stuff. So I really learned how to read people's body language from a little tiny window where you can't hear them or even see them sometimes as well. Um, so yeah, it, it is a master class in like, when you, the worst thing you can do on stage as a comic is going up. And if you don't think you're doing good, being like, oh, I'm not doing well on stage, because then mm -hmm. people may not actually think that you're doing poorly. But now that you've said that, they start to, you lose people, you know? And so it's kind of like it's mind over matter. You just keep going. Zoom is like that times 100,000. Like every time you go up, it feels like you're bombing. It feels like you're bombing. And then you're not. You're actually <laughs> right. not. You're doing, you're doing really well. Like you could be killing and it sounds like you're bombing, right. you know? And so it's just, you just go, it's just, you know, mind over matters. Keep going, keep acting like I'm killing, and then it, and then it goes that way. Now, I've... Because you find out later with feedback, you're like, everybody loved it. They said right. their cheeks hurt, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, I've heard that some comics have even, you know, via their Zoom uh, gigs, have asked to, like, have, like, 10 or so people mics be turned on so they can actually hear the laughter yeah the problem with that is that you never know if those are the right people or not you know <laughs> that was and that was the response i can't re i know it was um um jeff foxworthy he was interviewing somebody and i can't remember but who he was talking to but that was that was jeff's response was oh did you make sure you had the right people? And the, the person he interviewed said, actually, yes, I did make sure. Of that. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because the problem is sometimes, so what I usually do is I ask the person who is, it's their Zoom link, I ask them to temporarily make me host, like right. full host, so then I can mute people or unmute people. So if I see somebody who's like dying laughing, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to unmute them. And then sometimes somebody that you haven't muted, all of a sudden they start doing the dishes. You know, and they're like, honey, where's the peanut butter? And you're like, oh. <laughs> right. Unmute or mute, mute, mute. <laughs> so it's kind of like, it's kind of like Simon says or whack-a-mole, you know, you just, uh, yeah. But it's, um, and then I did, you know, the weirdest corporate I did during the pandemic was um, I did an in-person online corporate gig. So it was in person. What, what, what I did was I had to drive to Wisconsin and then they filmed me in person in a totally empty room because of COVID. So it was in this humongous like auditorium, completely empty with cameras and they filmed it and then they streamed it to people for their Zoom. <laughs> so it was really weird. And I, and right when I got there, the January 6th uh, Capitol oh, yeah. siege was happening. So it was like, <laughs> I saw that on my phone, and then I had to go do comedy in an empty room for an online audience. It was just a weird, it was a very strange day. <laughs> I don't know if I'd have been able to pull that one off after that, <laughs> after that day. What what a uh, day that was. Oh, yeah. But when you know, under normal circumstances, and we're not dealing with all the craziness that we've dealt with for the last, you know, year year and a half plus um you normally travel by car by plane by you know yeah i like to drive uh but my wife's trying to talk me into flying more i'm tall i get really ornery on planes because people always <laughs> lean their seats back into me right. like yeah. they don't understand what it's like for a tall person if it's a normal person it doesn't do anything it kills us it kills us mm -hmm. and so uh i i try to do that but like now 
yeah, I, I, I do fly more. I do fly more. But I, I like, I, I kind of like the solitude of being in a car, but also it's really messed up my neck. Like, I've had, like, kind of, like, arthritis in my neck from, like, 20 years of driving. Right. Um, my car, pre-pandemic, I had it for, like, four years and had 300,000 miles on it. Um, you know, and now pandemic, it still has about 300,000 miles on it. So that was the nice thing. It bought me two years of my car that's paid off uh, extra. But um, I do, I do like driving but now even i know i know you said in normal times but now i have a college gig in um california and i have one in kentucky coming up and like if i could still drive those i'll do it mm-hmm. i'm gonna fly to california because it's too far but i'm gonna drive to kentucky because a lot of flights have been getting delayed and uh i don't want to risk it right well, you know, i don't want to miss my gig because the flight got delayed you, so um you know what college you're going to in 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 um, California, it's uh, Laverne University. Oh, okay, so it's a private. It's yeah, I believe so. It's in it's kind of by uh, San Dimas, which I always think of Bill and Ted's Ted. yes. adventure yeah. every single time. Yeah, when you hear San Dimas, there's nothing else you could think about. <laughs> Just like uh, oh, I used to live in L.A. for a period of time, so every time I drove by Encino, I would think of Encino Man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you know every. Every place is known for something, so. Right. Um, have you had the opportunity, or how many times, or do you even enjoy uh, opening for a what they would call a, a big national act or a superstar or anything like that? Um, I still get the chance. I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm a headliner in my own right, like usually. But right. uh, I my home club is the House of Comedy in the Mall of America, and. Uh, oftentimes like locals will, will just open up there because we're in town and we can um, and stuff like that so yeah I, I've opened up for a lot of what you would consider I've opened up for Fortune Feimster okay. at the House of Comedy um, you know and I have a headline there too but like yeah no, I, I'm like if I'm open and I have a date and I can get in there why not do it you know yeah. and so um, I would say most most of them are pretty cool but yeah there's some I've opened for some prima donnas you know people that really think they're a lot cooler than they really are Mm -hmm. um but i will say that the nicest and coolest people i've worked with like dave attell is an absolute sweetheart Mm -hmm. Uh, joy behar was really great um tom green is probably the nicest person who's ever lived um if you remember tom green he was uh, really i don't know if it's the canadian part of him so nice jay farrow was really nice to me um yeah and then you know other people like I think the the people who are the rudest are the people who kind of used to be famous. Well, that's not true because Tom Green. I mean, Tom Green's still famous, but like his right. career's not where it is, and he's still nice, so it's no excuse. Right. But a, a lot of times, people who were really big at one point and then like they're on their way down or have been down, they can be, maybe they're bitter. Yeah, I don't know. They're but, probably they're probably bitter more than anything. Right. And, and I don't get starstruck by them. I I, right. I, I just don't. I, I think the only person I ever get starstruck by is Michael Jordan. I think if I saw Michael Jordan, I'd be like, "Oh," but <laughs> that's it. It's, it's, uh, it's but, funny because you know, I'm in my man cave in my uh, condo, and you know, I have a photo of me and Kirby Puckett with Magic Johnson, and I don't get starstruck by athletes, yeah, or actors, or you know, it would have to yeah. be like. I saw Chris Rock in the Minneapolis airport one day and people were just like freaking out and I just waved at him and I kept walking. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's Chris Rock. Yeah. Hey, 
how you doing, Chris? And I just kept walking. Because it's like, you know, he's just like he's just like me. He's got a pair of pants on. He's, you know, trying to get to where he's going, this, that, and the other. And I don't know. I've just never been. There's very. I tried to figure out who the person would be for me to, like. Right. Like, be trembling and be like, oh, man, I can't believe. And, and I've never come up with that person. Because I've always been able to tell myself, you know, hey, yeah, it might be, you know, even Michael Jordan or Wayne Gretzky. I would, you know, if 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 Jesus came back right now, (laughs) that would be a different story. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, that's how that's how high up we have to go. (laughs) Probably. But it's just, you know, speak, speaking of airports, I have uh, a friend, Andy Erickson, who's a really funny comedian, and she was uh, taking a selfie at the airport. She was just uh, taking a selfie. Uh, I think it was for like a Marfans, like, uh, you know, like you take a picture and you hashtag it and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, this lady walks up to her and she goes, Excuse me, would you stop taking pictures of Zach Efron? And she's like, what? <laughs> and she goes, Zach Efron, he, he's just a regular person. She goes, what are you talking about? Turns out Zach Efron was behind her. She was just taking a selfie, but Zach Efron was like, that woman's taking pictures of me and freaked out. And she's like, no, I'm taking pictures of myself for Mar fans. And she's like, oh, this is really weird. <laughs> well, then he's got issues if he thinks yeah. the, the world is out the world stops for him or the world's out to get him, then that's his. I, honestly, if I saw Zach Efron, I would probably think that he was Justin Bieber. I can't tell the two apart <laughs> at all. I'm going to be honest with you. I know who the Beebs is. I don't know who Zach Efron would be. He's an actor. Would be able to pick him out of a crowd, probably. Right. I just don't get starstruck because I've been lucky enough to where, you know, you know, I worked college athletics for 40 years and I've, I have been lucky enough to meet a ton of people and and also be a part of the you know the KQ Morning Show and the Todd Bernard podcast where you just meet people and you meet people and you meet people. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's not nice to meet famous people. It is, but I just don't I don't I don't get starstruck. I I don't. No, no, because they're, that's good because they're just people. All I know is they might be talented people or famous people, but they're just people. Speaking of Tom Bernard, I was on his podcast, and uh, one of the guests they had was a call-in, and it was uh, Tippy Hedren. Yes. Uh, from uh, from many many things, mm-hmm. but she was in The Birds, and right. uh, I did you know so I asked her a question. I was I, you know I, I didn't I I knew who she was, but I didn't realize how famous she was, right. and like. Her daughter is what uh, Goldie Hawn. Yes, and then her daughter is like famous too. Like it's like acting royalty, but I didn't even really realize it. And I just go, hey, what was up at the end of the birds? Like I don't get it. What happened? The birds just stared at him, and she's like, you and me, I don't know either. And so we just had this like normal conversation with yeah. this like Hollywood legend who seemed really normal. Well, you know, she's from Minnesota, so she's pretty grounded and sure, you know. Um, because Tom's interviewed her several times, so it's she's one of his favorites. Yeah, you know from that era. Um, and I'm gonna back things up here. You said your wife, so you're married. Are yes. there are there children? No, just dogs. Three dogs. Okay. <laughs> so I'm assuming that, and this is me just making a stab at it, that uh, marriage and animals come up or your dogs come up in, in your discussions. 
every once in a while uh on, on stage, stage or yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> yeah definitely i it's, mean uh, you gotta talk about your life you know right yeah i mean you, you can't talk about <laughs> children if you if you don't have any well you can talk about them but you know right <laughs> well you know when i when i first started doing comedy i was 22 and now i'm 43 right. and um and it's weird because when you're a comic for that long, you still feel, I mean, I am young. I think 43 is young, but yes, it is. I, uh, I remember like, I still feel like not that much different. Not, I don't, I don't mean I, I feel immature, but I don't feel that much different because comedy is kind of this weird suspended animation thing. But I remember being early twenties and being like the crowds were having a hard time relating to me because they were older and I was college age or whatever. And I remember being like, there's nothing I can do about that. I can't fake having kids. I can't fake being divorced or mm -hmm. whatever. I can't, you know, so like they're not going to, and I just knew if I just kept being myself and just was myself as I got older, they would relate more and more, you know, and that it would catch up with itself. And sure enough, it did. And now I'm like one of those comics that people go up and I'm like, oh, he's the relatable guy. But like I, for like so, many, so many years when I started off, I couldn't relate to crowds at all. or They, did, they didn't want to relate to me because who wants to hear a 22-year-old talk about anything? You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of wise 22 year olds, but you know what I mean? Like on the surface, let me tell you 60 year olds about life. And you know, I'm 22. Right. Like what? <laughs> there's no... So it, it just caught up with itself, you know? So right. yeah, I, I just, you know, I talked about the dumb things I did when I was 22 and now I talk about the dumb things I do when I'm 43, but that involves more adult things. Yeah. I mean, life experience is great for a comic because, you know, you, you have stuff that your audience can relate to. You know, right. Um, right. And, you know, that's the thing. A lot of comics will new comics or like people who haven't done it yet will come up to me and they go like, oh, I want to be a comic. I, I, I crack my friends up. I crack my first off. I go, well, I, I'd hope so. Otherwise, your friends are jerks. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but and I, I don't mean this in a dismissive way, but everybody makes their friends laugh. That's why they're your friends. Right. They get you. They understand where you're coming from. They know your history and they like you. And that is the goal of comedy. So it's it's hard because comedy is not like making your friends laugh. It is going up in front of strangers. Unless you're famous, Jerry Seinfeld goes up and they all know who he mm -hmm. is and they think they, they, it's like seeing a friend then. But for the most part, you're going up in front of strangers who are like, make me laugh. Like, I don't know what this person's all about. I don't know if I'm going to like this person. And you have to find a way to make the audience get you like a friend does that's the trick of comedy so that when you tell jokes they go oh i know where this guy's coming from or oh, i relate so much or that's just totally like him you know but they don't know you but that's the trick is to make them feel like they do and so that's what i tell new comics i mean maybe that's a little daunting to tell a new person because <laughs> but you know the but, you know they no but, go ahead. yeah they, they, they but then when they go oh you know i make my friends laugh you know they might um be expecting a response that they may not get yes <laughs> when, um you know but it, that's why people bring their friends a lot at first too but you can also tell that that young person the one thing the audience has for them is the hope that they will do well they're actually Mostly, some, there's, there's always a few sadists but right. yes i do agree and you know what i do tell them i mean i give them practical advice like uh, it's a thing in comedy. If you take the mic out of the mic stand, move the mic stand so it doesn't block you. You know, right. a lot of new comics, little practical things like that. But normally, I tell the new comics, like, don't overthink it. Like, no, oh, what happens if I bomb? What happens if I kill? If you do well, come back and do it again. If you do horrible, come back and do it again. Because you're in the first ten times you do it, you're gonna do great. You're gonna do horrible. Mm -hmm. You're gonna do horrible. You're gonna do great. You're gonna do horrible again. You're gonna do great, 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 horrible. It's 
all over the place, and you just have to keep doing it. You have to keep practicing and getting better. So it's not like, oh, you kill in your first open mic. People have seen too many movies, you know, right. where they, or it's American Idol, where like somebody's going to hit a button in the audience, and now they're in L.A. It's like, man, that's not really how it works. You have to, you have to, it's like a skill, it's a trade. You have to get good at it. It takes time. Yeah, so, and, and that's why yeah. most comics don't break into like their late, 20s early 30s ish because they have to hone that that craft um now you're saying that you're you're gonna go do some colleges do you have fears of doing colleges in these days of uh uh, political correctness or you know cancel culture i don't uh, I don't really, you know, like I said before, my, I don't really have, uh, my material isn't really something that makes me worry about that, but I also don't really think that cancel culture exists. I think that it's kind of a myth. I think that there is freedom to say whatever you want. I think that, uh, if you go up in front of a college, you can say whatever you want. You might get a bad reaction mm-hmm. and then you have to deal with the consequences of that reaction. You know, and the, the, the goalposts move, but they have always moved since the beginning of time. It's not like I don't think that anything is more sensitive now than it was before. I just think that uh, we have more means of communication. It spreads faster. So I, I don't really worry about it. Um, and I think that people, as far as cancer culture goes, people don't really get canceled. Louis C.K. is still out there performing. Right. Yes. Um, they just move their money. Mm-hmm. So less people go see him, you know, they, and, and it, it's not. I think there's this myth that it's a left wing versus right wing thing, but you know, the Dixie chicks got canceled by the right, you know, like air quotes canceled, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's really, but what it was is they said something about George W. Bush, the right didn't like it and they took their money back and they stopped buying their tickets and stopped buying their CDs. And and that's what it was. And the chicks, they're called the chicks now and they're still going Right. and they performed to probably a more liberal audience now and it just, it is what it is. So, in my experience, I mean I've never really had that problem with colleges I think I think that <laughs> the, the irony is sometimes I think colleges they're like the audiences want you to be dirty too it's weird, it's not, <laughs> it's not that cut and dry right. I mean I did a, a college in South Dakota and I mean they probably would have <laughs> gone for any crazy thing you know but uh i i think that if you just if you have your intentions and you just kind of i don't know i I don't worry about it because i'm not really trying to do anything that's gonna hurt anybody's feelings i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i mean if you're if you're if you're if your deal is that you're a shock comic comic, which again you know i'm just it is what it is yeah, you might have some issues, but what did you expect? You're getting into being a shot. I mean, what, so you're a shot comic, and you're surprised when people get shot. You know, like it's, like, it's what you signed up for. Yeah. You know? No, I, I was just wondering because everybody has a different experience. Because I hear oh, some. Sure. Yeah. If you haven't figured it out by now, Mike, I'm big into comedy. I oh, yeah, that's watch great. and I listen to. Uh, podcast done by comics like jeff foxworthy has one um like i said tom and uh fortune have they have a good one um kevin hart has one yeah you know and i just like listening to the the i i relate very well with the comedic mind right and it was weird because when i used to be on uh tom's podcast tom bernard's podcast Mm -hmm. I would have a lot of comics 
after we were done would ask me was i a comic <laughs> and it's like you uh, know, no right. i just like comedy and you know oh that's great I'm, and there's so many avenues now with the internet to do that right. uh oh one last one last thought of that if uh and if anybody as far as cancel culture goes people go oh, comics can't say what they want anymore Go to any open mic in the country and tell me that again. <laughs> you, will, you see people say the most insane stuff, and what happens is the crowd goes, nope, if it's inappropriate. And I've seen people get booed off the stage. I've seen people go, you know, but it's natural selection where you're like, no, that is not cool, and we're going to move on to something else. That's what it is. It's, and I, I don't think there's a single person that's been canceled that's really been truly, unless they go to jail canceled like you know, right. Louis C.K. Um, you know, Mel Gibson, I mean, I don't even understand how he survives that. <laughs> but he does. Yeah. So um, but yeah, but what you were talking about with uh it's it's funny because I started comedy before podcasts. You know, there was like I'm still young, but I I started young. So like uh when I started, I think podcasts probably were like two thousand seven. I don't know. I'm I'm sure the first one was before that, but when they started it seems like comedy podcasts started to kick mm -hmm. up. It was the weirdest thing because um before you would have to learn stand up in real time. Like I remember being on uh in the audience for a show and I was the opener and the headliner told a joke and then it didn't go very well and he goes, Oh, that tag didn't do very well and I was like, What's a tag? Yeah. And so I had to go up to him after the show and go, What's a tag? And he's like, oh, that's when you, you tell the punchline, and then you add an extra line at the end. It's like the line after the punchline. You just you tag it. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I know what that is. That makes sense. Now, people who haven't even done stand-up that are about to start, they'll come up to me and be like, oh, i got these tags written. I've done all this. It's just it's still weird to me <laughs> that all these people will know all about comedy before they've even done it. Because it used to be, you know, I don't know anything about magic. Right. I'm not a magician. I don't know any of the tricks. But if I went and watched a bunch of, listened to a bunch of podcasts, I could know the jargon and you know be like, oh, I'm going to do a flippy do for the with a dove. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, again, um, listening to Jeff Foxworthy, he talks about him, he'll go see somebody and be sitting in the back and writing tags for people, and and it's like, here, you can have them. You know, he goes. He said he just enjoys writing so much. It's like he just, he, yeah. He 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 loves comedy and he loves writing. And he said he he'll sit there and write tags, and tell people yeah. you can use them if you want to. If you don't want to, throw them away. I, goes, That's good. I don't, I don't care. I, he goes, I'm not going to take it personal, but you know. I uh, I'm I'm glad that he said that because there's nothing worse than getting a tag from a comic you respect and it's a horrible tag. Right. You know, like, good comics can write bad, you know, that's we trial and error. That's why we, we do new stuff and we go, okay, nope, never mind that one. Mm -hmm. uh, I was doing it a, a week with this one comic and he, he's like, hey, you got to say this line. And it was so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. And I didn't even try it because I knew it was bad. And, like, every single night I had to act like I forgot to do the joke. Right. Like, uh, like, cause it was a joke. He was adding a tag. And so he's like, did you do the tag? I'm like, Oh, I forgot to tell the joke again. Like I was just so, I was, I just <laughs> omitted the entire joke. Cause I was too embarrassed to try to do his horrible joke. And I didn't want to offend him cause he's actually a funny comic. But I might've, I might've done the joke and the tag and said, well, I wrote the joke, but I didn't write the tag. It's just been like that. It's just I wouldn't have called him out, but I would have just said, "Yeah, I didn't write the, right. I didn't write the tag." And you know, but it, it took me for a while because you know I heard I would hear comics say, t you know, 
yeah, people write tags for me or, or, you know, because Kevin Hart was, uh, he was being accused of having people just sit in the audience and write his material for him. And he's <clears> like, no. He goes, what they would do was write down the good things that were, and if they had something to add to it, they would add yeah. to it. But he said, it's still my job to say if yeah. I want to do it or not. Yeah, and you know, the thing is, especially famous comics, a lot of famous comics have writers. You know, like Chris right. Rock doesn't make him any less of a, I mean, honestly, you know, Jim Gaffigan writes with his wife. Comics write uh, uh, with other comics all the time. I write jokes with my wife. Uh, not comparing myself to Jim Gaffigan, but, uh, <laughs> but like people, uh, comics get together all the time. Hey, you want to get together and, and write? And then they go, hey, I have this idea for a joke. And they kind of say it. And somebody goes, yeah, why don't you say it this way? Or what about this? And I'll say a line. And then it'll just be your joke. Right. You know, because it's it's through your filter. I could not tell. There's one comic that's telling a joke one way. I couldn't go up and tell it exactly the same way they do. You know, it, I would have to do it my way. I have to tell my jokes through my Mike Brody filter, you know, because yeah. there's a way I tell jokes. And I think that's what it really comes down to, you know. Um, like, like when you see – there's certain comics that are really funny. Like, Chris Rock might be a bad example because he has a lot of, like, classic jokes. But, like, when you're going to see Chris Rock, you're not going to see that one joke. No. It's not like going to see Skinner and you're going to see Freebird. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to see Chris Rock. You want, mm -hmm. It's his personality that you like. And I remember early on in the 2000s reading his bio. It wasn't a biography. I mean, it's like a – maybe it was a biography. But it was a book that Chris Rock had written, and I found it really boring uh, and uninteresting. And I was right. like, why is this uh, – he's so funny. And then I realized, like, oh, read the book the way Chris Rock would tell the jokes. And then I realized, like, oh, it's – he tells – it's when Chris Rock is on stage, it's not even – he could read the phone book and make it funny. Right. Because it's the way he tells it. It's his personality. He he paces. You know, he, he – so many people copy Chris Rock. They forget mm -hmm. that he's – that's his thing. He was the pacing and the high-pitched voice and just the way he phrased things. I mean, he, Chris Rock was like the master. Yeah, I've, I've heard the, the saying, musicians – perform on the stage and everybody wants to hear the hits yeah when comics perform on stage people want to hear new stuff they don't right. want to hear the hits from a comic anymore right and, and that's the thing when you're when you're when you're famous that's why they have writers because it's really hard to like uh a lot of comics would criticize dane cook for being like all flash and no substance but dane cook's first album was pretty good his first album was pretty good because he spent 15 years writing it. He wasn't famous yet, you know, right. put out his first album. Boom. There it is. It's really funny. And then, you know, all the, you have to write your next album in a year. Yes. You know? And so it's harder to put out that quality. So people have writers and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think anybody, I don't know any comic in that position that would do anything differently. And by the way, I, I also think that Dane Cook gets a bad rap because I think that he, I've heard once there was a basketball player that maybe you've heard of uh, Brian Scalabrini. Yes. Um, people always I'm going to tie this all together <laughs> people oh, always make fun of him because he was like a pasty looking white dude looked like Michael Rappaport you know mm -hmm. um, and he played for a lot of teams but he was a red headed guy that basically played for the Celtics and he was a bench guy and they would make jokes about him called him uh, Red Mamba or White Mamba I can't remember what it was <laughs> um, and it got to the point where he's retired at this point five years and people were like making fun of him he goes alright like I challenge anybody, you want to play me? We'll play twenty-one. 
and they did they filmed it put on youtube like seven or eight i don't know how many people did it came in one of them was a a, a college player for syracuse he annihilated annihilated every single like 21 to zero like and he's five years retired he destroyed every single one of them so the worst uh the worst nba player is better than everybody else you know right. yep. um and he, he said a line that i thought was funny he goes he goes i'm closer to lebron than you are to me you know as a, as a, a regular normal person playing basketball us and our the, the gap mm-hmm. between us and brian scalabrini is way bigger than it is between him and, and lebron oh, and like sure i think that when i think of dane cook because a lot of comics like to like to really pile on him and like oh he's the corniest and like you are not even a hundredth of the comic that Dan Cook is is it my style of comedy no I have a lot of energy on stage but that's just the way I am I'm talking really fast right now it's just the way I am I don't really particularly care for Dan Cook's stand up right. in that sense but I respect him because he worked really hard he was the first person to innovate having uh, social media following like MySpace for mm-hmm. comedy um, he did all this stuff he, like he you what I'm trying to say is 99% of these comics that make fun of him couldn't even hold his jock strap, you know? And I just think it's like, man, get your, so, you know, Dane Cook is closer to Richard Pryor than the average open micer is to Dane Cook. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand that. It's just, um, people just can't, you know, fathom the fact that they are that far apart from a Dane Cook or whoever. You know, and- well, it's, it's not. It's not. My my intention isn't to 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 knock down people who are new or open micers. I'm just right. saying that, like, I think that some of these people they make fun of deserve more respect than they they give them. Yeah, they um, you know, he, like you said, he he started a, a whole new way for people to bu- build up their notoriety and their act mm-hmm. and whatnot using a, a vehicle that had never been used before. You mm-hmm. know, and you know, you got to give people credit for that you know the in- ingenuity and all those things it takes and the and the as the old us old folks would say chutzpah to mm-hmm. <laughs> to work to uh to to do those things so well i have taken up an hour and 12 minutes of your time <laughs> discussing comedy um oh i didn't have one i have two last questions before we sure, go sure sure First one is you said sometimes you write with your wife. Is she a comic? She is she, not. She just likes she to is, tag things. <laughs> she's one of the funniest people I know, and uh, we kind of have this process where it's not necessarily this black and white with every joke, but kind of I'll live my life. I'll have this weird thing happen. I'll come home and tell my wife about it. She goes, like, that's a joke. And then, you know, we'll talk about it, and then she'll write it down. And like she's really good at getting the structure because I'm kind of one of those flighty people. I'm like, and then a UFO came by. She's like, no, 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 keep the joke, keep the joke. Like we keep on track, and then we will, uh, we'll just you know go back and forth, and then on it like punching it up, and then I go on stage, and that's where a lot of it comes through, where it's like, uh, you know, maybe the maybe the wording was more wooden than I thought it was as I'm saying it on stage. And it's just this whole process of back and forth, and uh, she's she's really funny, and she's a she's a good quality checker as well <laughs> you know everybody like you said everybody needs them in this if you're gonna she has no, yeah she has no intention of being on stage like right. she, she, she it would she'd be horrified horrified <laughs> to be on stage meanwhile i'm like give me the spotlight baby, right i want all of it <laughs> well and you know you, you gotta not only want to do it but you know you gotta want to keep working at it too you know, yeah what is it jerry seinfeld says he 
tries to write a, a, a new uh, line every day. Now, they may be good, they may be bad, but he says he at least tries and he keeps working and working. Yeah. You know, he's he's one of those really grinded comics. And it yeah. seems, seems like those are the ones who become very successful and yeah. not rest on, you know, not resting on the hits, as we were saying. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's that's why he's one of the big ones. And let me close with this. Mike, where can they find uh, find you or find information on you or your tour? Uh, well, first off, they can follow me on Instagram. So at Mike Brody comic. So it's B-R-O-D-Y. So at Mike Brody comic. Or you can just go to MikeBrody.com, and that's got all my links to all my specials, my uh, social media, my bio, all that stuff, and my schedule all on there. So MikeBrody.com. Well, again, I appreciate the, you spending some time with me. And uh, if you get any other friends out there of yours who would like to come on and do the, my podcast, I'll take you. <laughs> I know this guy named Tom Bernard. You can you can have him on. <laughs> I did two hours with Tom. So <laughs> nice. No, no, I'll definitely, I'll definitely, uh, I'll put the feelers out for people. Right. Yeah, because I mean, years there was a. Um, I'll say his name the way he writes it, Dad Chaniels. I was trying to reach oh, out yeah. to him, and he's not replying to me. So maybe, oh. maybe you can whisper in his ear and remind him okay. who I am. I'll send out the, the chat <laughs> signal, like the bat signal. <laughs> As you can see, I didn't say his name right, so he can't get mad at me. Oh, whoops, no, that was me. Sorry, instincts. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir, I really appreciate it. Uh, again, yeah. this, this has been Mike Brody, comic um, funny man or however you want to put it here <laughs> on <laughs> here on the JP's low tech podcast thanks for having me yep ABS media JB. demo my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game right on negro black ABS media demo black 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 Django JB damn Dolomite great god in heaven you know I ABS Media Demo. JV, our great Negro sex machine.